Blog Talk Radio. Holistic Health, inspiring stories here on Blog Talk Radio with Heather Berger. Build and connect with your community in a way that is fun and informative. Share on social media, embed on your webpage, and subscribe on iTunes. To book an interview, call 780-239-0323. Share your passion. Holistic Health, inspiring stories here on Blog Talk Radio. Hear more at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Miss Laugh-A-Lot. That's M-I-S-S-L-A-F-A-L-O-T. <laughs> hey, good morning, Blog Talk Radio world. Uh, my name is Miss Laugh-A-Lot, also known as Heather Berger. We've got an awesome, awesome guest today. His name is Victor Sinclair, uh, founder of the Positive Imperative, uh, which and also the uh, music Positive Music Imperative here. <laughs> I've got a whole bunch of tech stuff going here. I've got like a phone in my hand and uh, an iPod or whatever it's called. But anyway, Victor is the founder of of the Positive Music Imperative. It is the and it's the parent concept, the positive imperative. To every good foundation, there are four legs and a seat. Victor's four legs include not-for-profits volunteering, media broadcasting and internet, business sales and marketing, and a number of years in the music industry as well. Born and raised in Toronto, he spent a number of years growing a family in London, Ontario, before moving back to GTA Brampton to run the American Chamber of Commerce in Canada. His experience includes, he's currently the the vice president of VSC International, a digital marketing company serving the private school sector. His past experience includes, and this is a long one, (laughs) it's almost kind of a tongue twister, uh, the the executive director, American uh, Chamber of Commerce in Canada, aka AmCham Canada, advisory council channel line, IT Industry County Country Council OSCAC Overseas Security Advisory Council Teacher Trebas Institute Toronto and Fan Shaw College London. Thomas. He's also the owner of uh, 8020 Records Management with a number one uh, with one Juno nomination. Hey, uh, there's a long list here, Victor. Um, there, there are, yeah, so we are here to talk about the positive music imperative and the positive imperative. Can you, we're also ta- uh, here to talk about the, uh, the Alice in Wonderland and your thoughts on, on the stories of Peter Pan, both the stories. Um, what, where would you, um, where did this all come from? How did you, what inspired you to, to create so it all started, yes, at 5 o'clock in the morning when you get a eureka moment and you jump out of bed with joy and you start writing because you have this idea that finally manifested out of your mind. And that was an accumulation of 20-plus years of being immersed as a student in the, uh, I guess, the positive psychology, psychology slash self-help movement and reading tons and tons and tons of books from uh, Anthony, uh, I was going to say Wayne Dyer to Dale Carnegie to Napoleon Hill to Zig Ziglar to Tony Robbins and the list goes on and um, and one of the big ones Stephen Covey 
but I never wanted to do other people's work like Stephen Covey or be a Stephen Covey coach. I wanted to kind of do my own thing and add to the uh, add to the choir because 90% of what they say is all congruent in the same thing. So I came up with this uh, this idea and I kind of put it together and, and really, the, you know, it was to bring something unique to just positive thinking, which, you know, Norman Vincent Peale coined the term uh, a good 60 years ago. Uh, but there was more to positive thinking than just thinking. And, of course, he would say that, and so would uh, the other person uh, who was attributed to positive thought, although he called it autogenic thought, and that was Napoleon Hill, um, who wrote the infamous uh, best-selling million seller, more than the Bible, uh, book called Think and Grow Rich. Um, And he was all about being master of your mind, which I've actually come back to on my journey. So the unique part that I bring to the puzzle is understanding there's a dynamic to positivity, and so I call it the posi ratio. People are often taught in the school system that one positive, one negative, cancel out, and you're on the equal ground. And that's fine if you're doing science and math and magnets, but the reality is in life you can work uh, a good 25 years on building a best friend friendship and then sleep with their spouse and do a negative, and in three minutes it's all gone down the drain. Um, So a negative does 10 times the damage. So raising a child, uh, for example, takes a humongous amount of effort, um, both in in time and attention and love and respect and more time and more time. And um, a lot of, you know, parents do damage by what I call the neutral. So there's a plus on the right and there's a negative on the left. But in the middle is this neutrality or the neutral. And that's another thing I brought to the conversation with the positive imperative. And a neutral is actually a negative. It does five times the damage. So back to parenting again. If you're, you know, a pretty good parent, but you just happen to be a workaholic and you're not there much, your child gets bullied on Tuesday and you not there, you're not there for the Wednesday breakfast, and they go back to school uh, without the issue being dealt with as far as you as a parent goes, that's still really bad. And then, of course, if you're an abusive parent, uh, whether it's sexual, verbal, physical, you name it, you do 10 times the damage, and, and that damage can manifest itself for decades in a person's life. Um, and I don't think we have that conversation en- enough. And uh, and so the conversation really dwells upon, for example, the neutral, which is, I think, society's ailment. Everybody sits on the fence. And it brings to mind the uh, the line I heard once in that uh, 1970s hippie TV police show uh, with Lincoln Julie, and it was called Mod Squad, and Clarence Williams III, which was um, um, the guy with the big Afro hair, um, said this line that just resonated with me, and he basically said, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And I think I was only 16 to 18 at the time, but it just sort of rang a bell, and uh, actually it was probably you know, 14 to 16, because I got involved in pollution uh, probe and recycling, and actually was the first uh, school in North York to build two Molson transport trucks with newspapers, Back in the days when there was no such thing as a blue box, but we knew that newspapers were going to landfill and never decomposing. Um, so that, that the whole idea is we are our brother's keepers. So if you're not part of the solution to the environment, to you know 
crime in your community to raising your kids to participating in your school to voting is a big one for me. Um, then you're part of the problem. You know, a, a lot of Americans maybe didn't vote in the last election if they sat on the fence because they thought Bernie was out and they did nothing. Well, you had two bad candidates and you picked your poison and look at the poison they've got. Um, so that's what happens when you sit on the fence and do nothing. Um, so the neutral is, is really damaging. And then the, so the, those are the two tenets of the positive imperative is that everything's positive, neutral, negative. And that neutrals do five times the damage, then negative do ten times the damage. The third principle is the owner's responsibility. Um, we have a fiduciary responsibility to take care of our brothers. You know, we are a brother's keeper and a sister's keeper. And that also means that um, we have a responsibility to take care of the planet, to take care of the wildlife, to take care of everything. We're at the bottom of the pyramid serving up as opposed to a lot of ego-driven males which see themselves as the top of the pyramid and see that animals and the planet is to serve them. Um, I'm kind of inverted opposite on that. I, I tend to think that uh, we are all one and we are there for service. We are here for service. And you know what? Um, there's a question that, that we were talking the other day and we were talking about metacognition. Can you touch on that, please? Mm-hmm. Certainly. So uh, everything in life deals with this whole issue of positivity, right? And there was a a great poem by John Wesley, who was a Saddleback preacher for the Methodist Church. And and another one I took to heart, but I was paraphrasing and never getting the right order. But I captured the idea, which is do all the good you can, all the time you can, and all the places you can, whenever you can, to everyone you can. And so the positivity is omnipresent. And in the, in the last five to seven years now, I've been really centering in on the mind and the brain, which is never taught in the formal education system. And yet there's a positive, neutral, and negative for the mind. But if you don't know how to run your mind, you're clueless to it. And the reality is, is that our mind is driven 95% by our prehistoric part of the mind, which is called the limbic system, and it's much, much older than the mandible or the prefrontal lobe, which is the new homo sapien mind that allows you to think. It's the one that governs your, your awareness, and in the limbic system, there are seven parts to it. The one part that does most of the 95% of your thinking is called the amygdala, and you have a left one and a right one. And by the way, folks, there's three. There's a male, a female, and a gay amygdala, um, just to wise up all those that think that they should convert somebody. And those two little almond-shaped things that are no bigger than an almond, but that's they basically look like an almond and they're shaped like an almond, but they evaluate some hormones and neurotransmitters, the main aspects of a modern life, and that includes your status, your certainty, your autonomy, your relatedness, and your fairness. And everything in your modern day life, from the car you drive to you know, the job that you have to the house that you buy to whether you hang out with this person or that person, is driven by those five factors. Uh, the news um, can go off and surprise trigger your amygdala because if you're a very uh, anxiety-driven person and then you hear something about Donald Trump or terrorism, you completely buy into that. And those five things 
regulate your parasympathetic nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system, but basically they, they run the sympathetic nervous system by actually invoking the hormones um, that drive the parasympathetic, which basically gets you adrenaline and cortisol and turns off your parasympathetic, your kind one, the one that Miss Lapalak promotes so much by laughter and gives you endorphins. And so that one's shut off. The blood comes out of your prefrontal lobe and goes to the rest of your body, your arms and your legs and your torso, because it thinks you have to run from the saber-toothed tiger. But in 2017, the saber-toothed tiger is imaginary. It doesn't exist, but it could be the way your boss talks to you, if he's threatening, if he's demonstrative, if he's, if he's uh, rude to you, if he's threatening like you're going to lose your job. Your cortisol in your sympathetic nervous system is going to go off for five hours, and the adrenaline and cortisol is going through your body. It doesn't dissipate for a long time, unless, of course, you're smart and you listen to Ms. Laugh a lot and laugh some. That'll reduce it to about two hours. It's still not going to go away for two hours. And so being aware of this is called metacognition. So metacognition is simply put thinking about thinking. And if you've heard the term you have two minds or we are of two minds, we are of two minds simply because we have two minds, and the one mind is our conscious thought that we're all aware of, and it's run by our prefrontal lobe. Our second mind has no vocabulary. It can talk to us, but it talks to us through actions, through remembering a name. You said, oh, i got to remember this name, and it serves up the name. That's actually the subconscious, and it can listen to you, but it can't talk to you, but it can give you signs, it can give you symbols, it can give you thoughts, it can work with you as your team partner, but it has no vocabulary. Your subconscious mind is never going to say, Heather, you did a silly thing today because you didn't check this or whatever. It might give you that little neuron thought that, check this, i, I got to remember what time it is to phone in for, for the Blog Talk radio show, but... <laughs> It has no vocabulary. On the other hand, it is 100% the listener. It listens to everything your, pre, your, your conscious mind says. So if you say, I'm no good, I'm a failure, I don't know how to draw, I'm always late, you know, I'm not good at that stuff, I'm, a, you know, I'm the worst one, um, I'm a loser, um, which actually had a song that uh, converted a whole bunch of teenagers for about five years from the band back um, to adopt as their anthem song. Oh, my goodness, I actually did a, a, a positive talk to a youth in a detention center, and I played it for them while I was actually hit on the radio. And uh, I captured them because they started singing the words, and they were proud of it. These are all uh, phase two young offenders, juveniles, 16 to 17. And then were they proud of that song? And then I said, good, you wear it. And the look on their face was really kind of uh, paradigm twisting because they kind of, you know, as I started to talk to them, you are your thoughts, you are what you think about. Uh, and what you think about is the old thing of uh, so good thought and you reap a good habit and you sow good habit and you reap a good action. And if you sow good action, you reap a good, you know, habit. And then if you sow good habit, you reap a good life. And so, and I think I got one of those out of work. Having said that, they didn't get it. Nobody's ever taught them in the formal education system that the, you are the product of your thoughts. And like the horse, you can control the horse on where you want to go and how you want to do it and go and stop. 
But if you don't, the horse knows who's boss in five seconds or less. I can tell you from my first riding lesson where the horse kept me in the stable for an hour and 15 minutes, and I never left the stall except for three times to go 40 yards and come back to the stall. So your mind is very much like the horse. It's obedient. That's what it's told. Tell your mind that you're not good at something. Use negative vocabulary. Get frustrated and end up, uh, you know, especially when you're in, in, in the doldrums, especially when several negative things have happened to you. We can all adopt the, the vocabulary of the victim. And the vocabulary of the victim basically says, oh, of course, these things always keep happening to me. And then what does your subconscious goes? It goes, uh-huh, yep, these things always keep happening to us. And in many cases, it'll make you late for your next meeting because you just told us that we're <laughs> always late for meetings because these things keep happening to us. And it basically is a very, very good friend and obedient servant to a fault. Right, so it will make you late for the next meeting. Uh-huh. Hey, Victor, thank you. I want to touch on uh, what would you say to teachers around the world, around the globe, and how, what methods would you use, or what vocabulary would you use? Also, what age would you begin to teach about the subconscious mind and about these thoughts? Yeah, that's a really good thing. Um, my daughter does it now in grade two. So I don't think it's – I think basically – again, it's, it's all about what you teach and when you teach it. But uh, you would uh, smooth or move gradually into it um, from the time that they put sentences together. They only get cognitive thinking when they're you know, over five. I believe it's seven. So at the end of the day, you don't have to work ridiculously um, on the mind at the early ages except to feed it and fuel it with positivity, right? So, I mean, if, if you use positive vocabulary, these are the words your children are going to use. On the other hand, if you are mindless instead of mindful and you're one of the people that uh, I think I might have found myself in this case once or twice, um, you're a right-wrong driver, and you get road rage because some other driver drove stupidly, and, you know, again, I used a qualified word there, and you lose your temper <laughs> and say some inappropriate things, and your child's sitting in the back seat. They're just taking it in. And I, I've actually been aware of one of my friend's um, children. He told me he basically – they said the F word when they were five years old. You know, you're stupid. You know, and I never use that vocabulary in my life as a regular, so I didn't do that, but I would certainly demonstrate the anger. So they absorb everything. So you start young, but you start to tell them the thinking process. You start to, to go through the issues of uh, positive thinking versus negative thinking, um, which leads to resiliency, so you can better handle bullies. You know, you are what you are. You're not what people say you are. And therefore, you are in control of that, not other people. Other people can't control your happiness or your thoughts or your choices. So that's one of the very first places. And then, and then metacognition is about, is this a helpful thought? Is this a positive thought? Or is this a negative thought that's going to do 10 times more damage? So you don't really have to get into the amygdala, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm thinking the amygdala uh, and all that stuff should start about grade four. Grade four, grade five, wow. having watched my daughter put on a whole TV broadcast with their, his, her grade two class. So, you know, you can't wait today because children are, are a diatribe of what's coming over social media and YouTube. 
from the uh, from the internet. So you've got to start early because they're for the most part they're getting all this input and you can't stop it. And nor should you try. You should govern it, limit it, and then steer it. But foolish is the person that tries to say, well, no, no, you just no, no internet, no YouTube, no whatever. That's like no drinking and da da da, and that never worked. Right, responsible drinking, having wine with your dinner, is a completely different thing from abstinence. No, 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 because part of metacognition and positive thinking is the ability to make positive decisions. If you never let the young person do that, the mind is a muscle, and therefore you have to form habits. And if they have no habit of making positive decisions, they will not be able to make quantitative and qualitative positive thinking on a regular basis. So you have to let them fail. You have to let them make the wrong decision within reason, of course, when it comes to safety. But you have to let them think. So I said that throughout, throughout their education, starting grade two, four, someplace in there, and, and right through the college and university, it should be part of the main curriculum. It's way more important than geography and, and other aspects, not that any of them are not important, but I think I gave you the analogy, Heather. It's like, I want you to be a driving instructor and I want you to be an auto mechanic, but I'm not going to teach you the rules of the road. And, oh, my goodness, you don't even have a driver's license and you don't know about a combustible engine. Now, go do your two jobs. Well, that's what we are doing when we have not been taught both the, the rules of our mind and the operation of our mind, which is the engine and the rules of the road. We're clueless about it. That's why people lose their tempers. That's why you have road rage. That's why you have people in depression because they talk themselves, you know, from depression down to suicide because they're full of memes. And if you believe the memes, again, the subconscious serves you, right? So if you don't think you're worthy and you, and you think you're, you know, you're an idiot and you don't think you will ever, you know, get a job and you don't think you'll hold a job and you don't think you can stop drinking and you don't think you can stop smoking, lose weight and everything else, you're programming your subconscious to support you and sabotage you when you're trying with a little bit of your thought to do a good thing in a positive habit only to have it the rug pulled out from under you because you haven't understood metacognition and programmed and made a foundation of a positive mind. Hey, Victor. Thank you. Um, we told our listeners that we're going to be talking about Alice in Wonderland and Peter Peter Pan. Uh, what what's this about the rabbit hole? <laughs> well, it, it, it's a rabbit hole I got down on early in my life, and I put one and plus one together, and I actually um, shared that idea when my daughter Dawn was in grade five, and she was already enrolled in public speaking, and she was looking for a topic. So I said, well, why don't you compare? Uh, Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland. And she said, well, why would I do that, Dad? I said, well, because they're actually the same story. One was written for boys and one was written for girls. And the paradigm is humongous in both the cases. Only just recently did I understand that Walt Disney kind of knew this all the way along. If you go to um, the movie Pinocchio, you will see in the bookshelf of Pinocchio two books. And by gosh, aren't they Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan? And so both stories are in a parallel, a little bit different. Uh, Alice in Wonderland goes much more to the extreme because of uh, because of his author Lewis Carroll, 
and the fact that he had certain issues in life and the speech impediment and a bunch of other things. So it really goes to the realm of of deep thinking and um, certainly in in Alice in Wonderland you have the mushrooms for the psychedelic drugs and the whole nine yards on one level. Uh, You have the Jabberwocky who's the who's the, the imaginary, and I must preface when I talk about Alice in Wonderland, you always have to qualify the version if it's the book or the Walt Disney movie or, or the Tim Burroughs film or just five different versions. Uh, but moreover, both plots deal with fear and your dreams and your goals. And in Alice in Wonderland, it's the Queen of Hearts, and Peter Pan, it's Captain Hook. And both of them are imaginary, and both of them are really uh, made up by your own mind, and they can either thwart your dreams and your goals in life, and you can turn and run, or you can conquer them um, and overcome. And if you overcome your fears and your darkest uh, nightmares when it comes to the fear of the evil of the world, it is surely the path to your Neverland or your Wonderland, right? Your successful, happy life where, you know, it's not necessarily utopia, but it is certainly living a whole life of satisfaction and completeness, um, which is really where Wonderland and uh, and Neverland is is meant to be. Your your dreams of uh, tomorrow. It's what you want to create. Um, what would you? How do you think that we could? create different stories for our children? Do you think the the current uh, stories that are being studied in school are, um, do you think we could switch it up a bit? And how would you do that? Well, and and that's a good question, very, very good question, Heather, because, uh, again, you have to be aware that we live in a world that has all sorts of mixed messages. The biggest one sincerely being that of violence and war. I grew up in a generation where um, John Wayne was the hero as a cowboy and then pretty much every uh, American movie on World War I and or particularly World War II and then the Vietnam War for the first bunch of them um, were all about, well, the good guys are the bad guys. And then, of course, it was all a lie. And eventually some movies uh, in Vietnam kind of went, no, maybe we're the bad guys and they're the good guys. So, I mean, being awareness of, of the whole um, uh, archetypal story of the hero, quote-unquote, is, is a whole element of how we uh, frame stories and education and lessons for our children um, and to teach them, you know, positivity. My daughter, for example, is hugely, this is my daughter Dawn, who teaches grade two, is hugely into teaching her children about the environment and particularly things like plastics. And so, believe it or not, she's, she, you know, there's a new National Geographic documentary coming out that's absolutely repulsive as, um, as these um, birds are opened up uh, and or they basically um, dissected on the beach and their stomachs are filled with plastic. And I'm talking about undigested plastic from from uh, Bic lighters to you name it. It's, it's, it's literally revolting um, as these, and they're albatross birds. It's, it's a whole study about albatross birds. Um, but the, the, that's kind of like, and I've always been in the environment of pollution, and that's the one that hits me over the head. But how do you frame that? Uh, there was the one-minute manager to say, you know, you do 
positive criticism by doing a, a sincere compliment, corrective action in the positive, and then a sincere compliment about the person's character and integrity. And you teach the, the negative issues of the, of, of the world the same way. So you set it up to say that the world is not all about the, the faults and the, the lies of negative news, um, and it's not all about Donald Trump, and that only negative news gets carried on the networks because positive news doesn't sell. So you have to tell them for every negative story that they see on the, on the uh, Bluetooth uh, based on a murder or robbery or, or something or an ISIS thing, um, there's a thousand acts of human kindness and decency that go on every day that get unreported. So you have to frame everything with, with the positive. You have to set up what needs to be fixed where our brother's keeper. You see a homeless person, take a knapsack of apples around with you and make sure you give the homeless person a knapsack. And maybe in the summertime you have some bottles. Of, um, this is getting hard on plastic again, but you have some uh, bottled water or you have some way to give them water. Um, oh, and then, uh, and then, and then you close the sandwich with a compliment. Okay, is, we're you thank are you so much. Well, we could we could talk for like hours, and and yeah, it's certainly possible too. Hey, Victor Sinclair uh, from the Positive Imperative, Positive Music Imperative. Check him out on the internet. Check out on YouTube his website. You'll be glad that you did. Victor, thank you so much for your time. We're gonna head out here with a song, and uh, we'll see you next time. Hey. Well, thank you, Heather, and thank you for your life and uh, laughter. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think yes, we're still I'm recording. Uh, I cut you off there, but um, did you have anything else? Just like the secret song. Remember back in the day, they had like, I don't know if they still do, but they still have like those secret songs. <laughs> right? Oh, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Secret song. <laughs> uh, secret song. Um, um, sure, I play the most positive song in humanity's history. Uh, this is the positive music imperative side of me talking basically kind of says music is positive, neutral, and negative, and, and does the same type of damage if it's neutral and negative. So be mindful that you're listening to positive music. And here's a question you can ask yourself on the power of positive music, which I think is the second most powerful um, positivity um, attribute in the world next to meditation. If the whole world stops at 12 o'clock and every human being on the 7 billion of this planet play John Lennon's Imagine, would we be a little bit closer to peace or a ginormous step closer to peace? And what other thing could we do on the planet that would have the same impact on us?
Thank you so much, listeners. Thank you, Victor. Um, what can I say? Victor, Victor, Victor Sinclair <laughs> with a stutter. Sorry. Um, we, uh, we'll see you next time. If you want to be interviewed on Blog Talk Radio here, please give me a call. Uh, just look it up. And uh, the intro has the, the deets where you can contact me. Thank you so much. Keep it, keep it real. Keep it positive And keep on. Love you very much. Take care.